Science. My name is Andy Wood. I'm Matt Kirshen. Hey, Andy. Hello there. I, uh, let's just jump straight into our guest, because I, 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 I see no reason for an extended preamble. I'm down. Extended pre-banter. It's the excellent and very, very funny Megan Gailey. Hey, Megan. Hi, smart cuties. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm not, I'm not too bad. It, it's all pretty good over here. Andy is a celeb. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Matt, you are also a celeb, but Andy has been gracing my TV. I mean, he's the star of my favorite show currently. So <laughs> it's been Thrilled. bizarre. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I think I didn't do a good enough job of staying on top of things um, social media wise the week it was happening because I was like, I'll catch up to all this later. And then, like, as soon <laughs> mm-hmm. as the last episode airs, everything comes to an abrupt stop. And I was like, Oh, yes. now I just have a backlog of DMs to get through. But um, yes. It's forgotten pretty quickly, which is fine by me. It was a very fun week. So exciting. Or a very fun day as the recording actually <laughs> I happened. mean, yeah. That's, um, I think we'll probably talk about that more with uh, Alex Schmidt, who we're going to have on next week, I believe, uh, okay. who also did all five of his episodes in a day. And by the end of that day, you're just, oh boy. Wow. Gosh. That's a true marathon. It was. But I mean, it's also, you know, that's what Alex does every tape day. So it's like, it's an extra impressive what, what he did. And, did- and do they then his... record if if you'd won the last episode would you have d- taped the next batch of 5 the next day or would there be in a few days off No they so Monday Tuesday uh in non covid or actually even in these times Monday and Tuesday Jeopardy would tape a week's worth on each of those two days and then that entire crew turns over becomes the wheel of fortune crew for wednesday thursday friday wow it's the same crew yeah yeah so they get through two so that was i think that was on a tuesday so i think charlie and you know alex will say we'll see you next week and if it's a monday they'll see they'll be the next day but he actually did have charlie would have had five days off before his next episode tape this is so fascinating to me it's like my it's just so cool it was like the more i think back on it because like watching the episodes you start to like change your memory of the actual thing you experienced because you change Mm -hmm. it to what you're seeing on tv and i'm like oh that must have been fun when they were clapping i'm like oh wait there was no clap there was no applause it was an empty it was like a twilight zone thing where you're just doing this game in silence with just you two people and alex uh, so they put in, you know, the applause and, and things like that afterwards. So how hard was it for you to probably less hard than like the real like dork, dork, dork second one. But how hard was it for you to like be like, here, I've got some fun banter bits like they're coming up with those like the, you're telling them ideas and they're like, yeah, that'll work. Yeah, they give you like a prompt, like a list of 20 or so prompts and you can give things that answer those. And then they'll select the producers, select a handful, give those to Alex he gets to pick whichever one he wants to talk about. So you know wh- which of the four or five he'll pick from amongst. Uh, but but then, you know, I, I said this before, but I just, really just wanted to make sure my stuff was short. Even if it wasn't funny, I just didn't want to like, yeah. go, I didn't want to ramble and have you to get... You didn't want to be that guy everyone. who's like, yeah. right. Yeah, so, um, yeah, a bunch of friends and I, uh, we often <laughs> yeah, like to yeah. go to um, other countries and <laughs> just, just watch his eyes glazing over. Yeah, you're, I mean, you almost like as a comic watching Jeopardy. I'm like, they need punch up on staff just for these <laughs> people to give them like end the story on the laugh. Then you get out, you know, just right. like general notes. Well, I, it's also part of why I didn't put 
you know, in my bio, it's just writer. I don't want to have comedian mm-hmm. and then have the pressure to have to say something funny in those interviews. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I just want to play this game and not embarrass myself. I just want to be a normal, smart person, you know, <laughs> not a little joker. Writer is generally my go-to occupation for any time I have to give a job. Oh yeah, especially you just feel on, like, like such a dick saying comedian. It's just like it, it just feels like saying like I'm always funny. Yeah. I'm a professional mm-hmm. funny person. It's like especially on like a, an airplane or something. Someone next to you asks what you do. Like that's that's the worst thing. To yeah. Possibly oh, in in that situation, I don't even go writer. I, I normally just pick either a very dull occupation like insurance adjuster or uh, <laughs> or I go. Yeah. Or I go with jazzercise instructor. Right, of course. And you've got some prepared follow-ups to either of those things, if I ask you yeah. what the last class you taught in jazzercise was? Yeah, it was a jazzercise 2. Okay. Which is like <laughs> oh, an intermediate-level wow. jazzercise class. Yeah. I'm familiar. I'm familiar. <laughs> nice. You know, Megan, it's when you... we're really starting to put jazz into the exercise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm, I'm, in, I'm into bebopper size. It's a little more freeform. Well, you know, I, I see that. I'll... I'll say writer, and this actually happened to me recently, I said writer, and the guy was like, what kind of things do you like to write? I was like, um, I don't know, I guess comedy, and he was like, are you a comedian? And I'm like, uh, yes, like he like... <laughs> decoded it, yeah. And then, and then he goes, me too, and I was like, this uh, is worst case scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're someone that I've never heard of who is also a comedian, so this is going to be fun. Yes. Yes, and I should have known, like, when he knew, when he was like, what do you like to write? I should have been like, this is a trap. I, I should just say uh, textbooks or something. But Yeah, or like, I, I write copy for websites. Yeah, yeah. I write Breitbart News. Um, <laughs> thank you! <laughs> so, Megan, we like to ask our guests this before we get into the stories. What, okay. if anything, is your background in science? And that has ranged from classes you liked or hated as a kid to used to blow stuff up in the woods with your friends. Yeah, so science was hands down my worst subject. Um, Yeah, I was like straight A's and everything, and then I just fell apart. But I went to a elementary school that was a magnet school for science and technology, and now I am terrible at both science and technology. So (laughs) I don't know if my parents getting me in there was worth it, but I'm happy I got to go there. Um, But yeah, I basically had to like squeak by in in high school chemistry and then chose a major in college that I would not have to take a lab science ever again. What was your major? I was um, theater and a communications major. That's a, we've had a lot of those on the show. Yeah. Yes. That yes. seems like a common so, theme with comedians. We did have sciences. to take, yes, we did have to take a science, but we didn't. So I took like horticulture um, and that was very fun. And then I took entomology, the study of bugs. Mm-hmm. And and our teacher was like a consultant for Fear Factor. So he <laughs> was really cool. He actually was really cool. But it was like a 500 person lecture hall. And it was like the entire football team and then all of the liberal arts majors in there right so theater kids and jocks basically (laughs) yes exactly and i walked in and i was like this is where i belong but (laughs) i had to have we part of one of our projects i had to have a pet cockroach um who lived in my dorm in like a little plastic 
home um, and my cockroach actually ended up being pregnant and I got so freaked out that I released her in the wild. <laughs> you didn't want to experience the miracle of no, cockroach birth? I was like, I am not ready to be a cockroach foster mom. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I love the idea that your professor is an expert in insects and has parlayed that expertise and just know, like, what do you what do you really specialize in the insect world? Oh, knowing which ones are best for Joe Rogan to put on someone's yes. face. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sure he had other career qualifications that are like cooler. But in my 18 year old brain, that was the only one that stuck out. Oh, no, definitely. So did you go to college in the L.A. region? No, I went to um, a Big Ten school. I went to Purdue in Indiana. Yeah. Oh, nice. So did this teacher also st- explain which of the bugs were edible? Or was he a proponent of insects yes, as a what, food source? Or? That's what he specialized in was knowing like what bugs you could eat and what bugs would kill you. And did any, was there any part of the class that involved, if you want to, here's some bugs you can eat or not? I think so, yes. Um, I definitely feel like that was offered at some point. I'm guessing that means you have not eaten a bug. Um, I have eaten a bug, I think. I feel like I've eaten um, a a grasshopper, right? I think like I've eaten a grasshopper. a fried grasshopper or something? Yeah, that's yeah, a thing. I've, I think I've tried so. that before. Oh, you have? have? Yeah. Was it hard to get through the uh, crunchiness? Was it a strange well, crunchiness? Yes, I didn't. I didn't like it. There was a thing at the um, at the London Science Museum. They had a New Year's Eve. Well, they they do it every year. They have like a New Year's Eve thing at the Science Museum, and a friend of mine is in the band that plays there. So whoa, okay. Yeah, we got we got the cool hookups. <laughs> uh, but um, so and one of the. Dem- one of the displays so it's, you know it's like a kind of party and a dance party in the museum but they also have bits of the museum open and some demonstrations and stuff like that and one of the things was edible bugs and they had a little tray wow. with a sample of a bunch of them and some of them were just some of them just were, were like a sort of salty snack it just tasted almost like mm-hmm. just some kind of savory <laughs> snack mix and then i can't remember which one there was one that tasted like dried mushrooms like had that real sort of mustiness to it yeah that was just that was hard i've remembered where i ate a bug okay so i was on this netflix high cooking show oh i I saw that i forgot that yes (laughs) and so i was on the one that was like new food and i because i was like why am i remember i was with like two nba legends nate robinson and john sally and we were served a plate of crickets um, and we ate them. They were like in the one was in like a cracker. It was, it was insane, but we, they were also had weed infused in them. It was oh, so weird. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot that. I was like, I have. And it's like, yeah, I got high and ate bugs with NBA legends. Like, that <laughs> stick out my brain. <laughs> well, you're also a big sports fan, right? Yes. Big time. Were, were you a fan of those specific athletes beforehand? Um, you know, I knew who they were. Absolutely. John Sally was on the bad boys of the Pistons. Yeah. So that was, that like predated my um, Pacers love. But the Pistons are like a major issue in um, my world because that's where the malice at the palace took place. And Wait, I was that blame... the artest? Was that the artest yes. punching the? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But John Sally was not on that team. But I for sure knew who he was. And I definitely knew who Nate Robinson was. And I thought they were like the coolest they were there 
they are A-list former athletes. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm from Ann Arbor, so I'm not even a big sports guy. But yeah, the, the Bad Boys era with like yeah. Rodman and Lambeer and uh, Isaiah. Or I guess Isaiah wasn't very bad, was he? But No, but he was the one everybody got the most mad at. Oh, really? So he was, yeah, he kind of got the the Bad Boys 30 for 30 is actually really good. I mean, they're all really I, – I say actually because I thought I was going to hate it because Isaiah was a terrible um, part of the Indianapolis Pacers organization too, and I loved it. it. You come out of it being like, oh, Isaiah was a bit of a victim. Interesting. Like, wait, in, mm-hmm. in what way? I, I guess I didn't know. I thought he was just kind of like a nice guy, leader. I, I, I didn't know what he was known as. Well, he just sort of, anyone that was like mad at the image and, and, and it was all, we watch a lot of these things now and you're like, oh, it was very racially motivated, but I was a young white girl in Indiana. So I guess I didn't understand that layer yet, but there was a lot of hatred directed at the Pistons because they did play different and they were like punched in the mouth and in your face. And because Isaiah was the most famous of the team, he got the wrath of, of hatred directed at him even though he was the least quote-unquote bad of the bad boys okay interesting did you ever play bill lambeer's combat basketball for super nintendo (laughs) no but i like i think he's a WNBA coach right now oh really um and it's so yeah like he's fascinating to me and there's people this like old i mean he's old he's an elder now and people still are like i fucking hate him (laughs) like he really brings it out of people he was a real brawler like he would punch you in the face right Oh yeah! Oh yeah! That's awesome. That's that's the full extent of what I know about sports. We've now covered okay. all of Andy's sports knowledge. Is uh, I wasn't even going to try Pistons. and I wasn't even going to try and shoehorn my interests. I I am a blank science slate, and I want it all to wash over me. <laughs> I I've got was gonna. Um... We've got stories sent in by listeners, but while you were talking, I was just looking up a few little bug stories because. <laughs> given that we were already talking about that and new scientist has a couple this week so i'm gonna put this one in the show notes this awesome. one, this one just more information about how bees fly which is still i think not fully known but honeybees can fly sideways to fit through tight gaps which Hell yeah. huh. I, I like that idea this little fat bee has to turn on its side to just kind of like wedge through a doorway um bumblebees uh it's adorable Bumblebees change their flight patterns differently when they have to pass through a tight space based on their size, indicating that they have some idea of their own size and shape despite their simple nervous systems. I didn't know that that was even like a consideration that I thought that that's one of the first things that animals and creatures know. But to test most insects have body dysmorphia. That's what I heard actually. Uh, oh to, wow! I've just subscribed to New Science. I'm getting a push alerts now. <laughs> I'm in this. Oh yeah, you'll get them for life now. To, so to test whether bees are aware of their size, uh, Sridhar Ravi at the University of New South Wales in Sydney and colleagues connected four hives to tunnels through which buff-tailed bumblebees. Again, like mm-hmm. what a name, buff-tailed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Bombus terrestris had to fly in order to reach food. They then placed a wall in the middle of the tunnel, partially blocking it off, but leaving a gap for the bees to slip through. As the bees flew up to the wall, they flitted backwards and forth to get a better look at the gap, and then tilted themselves over to get through without smashing their wings into the wall. Mm. Wow. Yeah. The researchers observed... Sorry, go for it. I just find bees so fascinating and so cute. I love bees. They, they They do still scare me, but they are... 
Uh, but they are adorable if you're not if they're not landing on you or flying up your leg. They don't even scare me. I know. If they're inside your clothes, they don't scare you? Maybe. The the one they really scare me if they, like, swim into, um, like, a drink and you don't know. Like, that's a real fear. But other than that, I guess I've just been, like, stung enough. Um, and I, and I, and they're just so cute and funny. They are pretty cute. And they're so needed. This is true. But that, that, that drink thing, I forgot that was a big urban legend growing up. Or maybe it actually happened was about some kid drinking and not seeing that it was in his can. And then, uh, and he was allergic to his throat and he's allergic. Yeah. And then he becomes a bee. Yeah, I think it was on Rescue 911 because I feel like I've definitely see it, seen a dramatic reenactment of a child drinking a Pepsi with a mm-hmm. bee in it. <laughs> I, I'm now looking up something because I, I'm wondering whether this is something that I've completely made up or imagined. And that's whether bee stings make you less susceptible to arthritis. I seem to remember reading huh? years ago that beekeepers are less likely to have rheumatoid arthritis as they get older. Interesting. Now, all of my guy friends from high school now have hives and make honey. Really? Interesting. Yes, also, it's really interesting. Wait, what, what hometown again? I'm from Indianapolis. Huh. I would not have guessed that that is a stereotype about Indianapolis. I wouldn't have either. There was there was like one guy friend who got really, really into it. And then I think there were some other friends that had land. So it sort of maybe started with one person. But um, I get I get incredible honey given to me all the time. Do these friends have waxed mustaches? I'm trying to picture what kind of... No, some of them are like... um, One is like really like mountain man-esque, and he sort of like makes his own jerky and stuff too. One is like the original honeybee master is like a hunk, is like a tall hunk. They're all kind of hunky, actually. (laughs) Bee hunks. And then you go home and they all give you honey. Yes! (laughs) That's like, you know, fireman calendars are kind of played out. I think beekeeper calendars could be. <laughs> beekeeper. Something. Oh, and the thing is, you could totally like keep their faces out of it. You know, they just wear their little <laughs> head thing and we just see the abs. I'm into this idea. <laughs> or or beekeeper burlesque because there's so many layers. If you start with the full uh, beekeeper um, protective suit, you could slowly peel that off. And then you just release bees into the theater. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> By the way, I still ha- I don't know why no one's done COVID burlesque yet, where you just um, take off a series of progressively smaller face masks until you just have nostril tassels. Yeah. <laughs> I would pay for that. So bee venom, according to WebMD, is given as a shot for bee sting allergy. Okay, that makes sense. But it is also used for osteoarthritis, Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, nerve pain, and other conditions. But there is no good scientific evidence to support these uses. Hmm. hmm. Okay. So, so doesn't work. It definitely does reduce your potential allergy to bee venom, which makes sense. But yeah, there is apparently no clear evidence yet that it has a positive effect on any of these other conditions. Okay, good. I was going to go out and get stung a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just keep picture that Simpson scene where they think the truck full of bees is the cure. I'm, I'm cured. I mean, ouch. Yeah, yeah. So... These researchers observed 400 flights by the bees and found that the amount they tilted depended on the relative sizes of the gap and the bees. Large bees going through small gaps even flew on their sides. 
Stacy Coombs at the University of California Davis says it's not that they have a sense of self or would recognize themselves in the mirror, but they do seem to have a better sense of their own size and shape than we thought. This is similar to how people and animals with more complex brains perceive the world, says William Warren at Brown University. When you look at a gap you need to walk through, you calibrate that information to your own body size. This emphasizes that there's a kind of universality in how we perceive the world from insects to humans. And Coombs says, it may seem like a no-brainer, but it's actually a surprisingly complex calculation for a simple animal to be capable of. Kids are sometimes scared to be in the bathtub when you open up the drain because they're scared to go down the drain, she said. Stupid kids. I know. I know. (laughs) Unless they've been watching Stephen King's It. (laughs) If human toddlers don't have that understanding of how big they are compared to the world around them, it's surprising that bees do. Damn, I mean, just ending the article with a straight-up dunk on top. Yes. <laughs> yeah, just, you're done with like, a bee, kid. This bee knows what to do, and you think you're going to fall down a drain, Caleb? Oh, my God. <clears throat> it's like he wanted to he, It's like he wanted to roast kids. He's like, all right, yeah. what's, uh, what's something I can do that kids don't know how to do, but if I can prove bees do, I can make fun of them? <laughs> Scientists like, who do we sick this anti-kid writer on? Okay, yeah, this is a B article. I also didn't know Brown was in Rhode Island. Gosh. Providence, yeah. <laughs> I guess I, for, I don't know what I was thinking. That makes sense now. There's, there's another insect story that I'm also chucking on there. Because this was also linked to from the same New Scientist front page. Earless moths have acoustic camouflage that protects them from bats. What? Mm. Right? Acoustic so earless moths, which I wasn't aware was a specific thing, have yeah, sound-absorbent wings that act as acoustic camouflage from praying bats. The moth wings have an ultra-thin layer of scales that absorb sound and could be adapted for noise-canceling technology. Mark Holderied at the University of Bristol in Britain says, uh, and his colleagues, projected sound waves at the wings of two species of earless moths. That's, here we go, here's some Latin. Uh, Anthorea perni and Dactylocerus lucina. They found that the sound waves that bounced back from the moth wings were much quieter. By using an imaging technique called acoustic topography, the team found that these moth wings have a layer of scales that are arranged in a special repeating pattern that absorbs sounds across, across a wide range of frequencies. Similar to how stealth bombers are less detectable by enemy radars the moths have developed a stealth coating against the bat sonar says Holreed. the moth wings which are around a tenth of a millimeter thick absorb the specific sound waves produced by bats Mm. so yeah bats interpret their surroundings using echolocation as i think most of us knew they send out sound waves and when the sound hits an object an echo is produced the bats use these echoes to build an image of their environment because the earless moth's wings absorb these sound waves, they remain largely undetected, improving their chances of survival. So that really is like a stealth plane, stealth bomber. Yeah. Other moths have ultra-sensitive ears to hear bats, but the deaf earless moths rely on their sound-absorbent layer to evade their predators. <coughs> Holdred and his team also compared the earless moths with two species of butterflies and found that only the moths have the sound-absorbing qualities. Although these so wings not only... just having wings. Yeah. yeah. Although these wings only absorb sounds heard by bats, it could be adapted for human sound frequencies, says Akito Karahawa of the Florida Museum of Natural History. This could prove useful in applications such as sound absorber panels and noise-canceling earphones. So imagine in a few years' time if your little Bose headphones have, I don't know, just a little chamber of moths in them. 
Wow. Flapping around. I love it. Or on the outside, they just look like these awesome <clears throat> scales, which are pretty, I mean, you can link through, you can click on the link to this article in our show notes and see the 3D printed uh, representation of these, the moth wings scale pattern. I'm assuming these colors aren't the colors of the moths. Yeah, wings, I'd imagine but... that's been sort of color coded by whatever type of the shape of the different scales but yeah they're I'm happy they're... for them i'm happy for them that they have something over butterflies too <laughs> yeah, right? that's true the only time they win in that uh... yeah and it's they're like okay listen we're not gonna get we don't we're not that colorful but we're not gonna get eaten by bats yep no one's How still gonna times? go to like a moth park and have a picnic amongst the moths. Ew, but. Ew, oh, yeah. but they got the Mothman prophecies. Um, and true. But then I guess they have the butterfly effect. Damn it. All right. They both got movie franchises. <clears throat> what is the Mothman's prophecy? Oh, it's really scary. It's a horror film um, about, I don't even know. It may be a little bit sci-fi, but it's so scary. There, do you know you don't remember any of this specifics of uh, what, he, what he prophesied this Mothman? <laughs> I remember Richard Gere, I think, um, and then like bad stuff happens. Like I don't, yeah, it's. I think it was so traumatizing to me as a child. I've blocked some of it out. I figured it was bad. I didn't think there's a horror movie where the Mothman was like prophesying the stock market going up or something. No, he's got some. I remember like a bri- like a bridge broke. Like a bunch. All there was right. like a traffic jam on a bridge, and the Mothman said. Break it up. <laughs> I can't even remember if it was a mo- what the Mothman looked like or what was happening. The Wikipedia for the movies, the plot is too long for me to try to rush through, but um, yes, it does indeed have Richard Gere. Yeah, okay, there we go. <laughs> John, is John Klein the, the Mothman? Who is the Mothman? That's what I can't remember. I think it's, I think it's honestly, I remember just like a bunch of moths appearing. Okay, maybe there is no, oh, maybe this, these moths form into a man. I'm just going to assume that's what the movie is. A bunch of moths mm. become like a Voltron man and then give you prophecies. I'm not going to read this plot summary. But uh, yeah, in general, butterflies do win. So it's good to have just one, one W for, yeah. for the moths collectively. Um, this would maybe wonder, oh, uh, the bats. Are you scared of bats? Yes. I think bats are terrifying. Even in Austin. No, they freak me out in Austin when they're like, come see the bats under this bridge. I'm like, hell no. I, they, I think of bats as like blood sucking. Like I see them and I'm uh, instantly afraid. Yeah. Are there any species that actually want to mess with humans? Maybe I'm being too overly, uh, uh, positive about whether they are, ever pose a risk to us but uh, bats risk to humans i yeah it's low it's um there's something psychological happening with me they can carry bacteria and viruses it can be hard for okay. humans but the risk of infection is low people who are not trained and vaccinated should not handle bats well okay if oh. handling yeah i'm just talking no. about you know, they're not going to like fly into your hair or whatever it is people think uh, are going to happen. The, the sleeping upside down, the nocturnal, <laughs> like it is very creepy what, what they're comprised of. But you've seen pictures of people bottle feeding baby bats. That's pretty cute, right? No, it freaks me out. Freaks uh, me out. And I've met like a sloth and I was like, you're great. I love you. Yeah, but course. no, bats freak me out. Matt, do you have a bat, bat feeling? I, I, I'm, I'm fine with bats. I slept I in a bat awesome. cave. Once wow. in, where was it? It was either Thailand or Malaysia. We were we were went on some two or three day jungle hike with a guide, and one of the nights was sleeping in a bat cave. 
with you know wow. all, all the gadgets and the cars and everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to guess that you were a distant relative of the butler, um, and so you got invited there for like a sleepover. That's <laughs> how it works. It's all about who you know. I wonder if they ever Airbnb out some some of the wings of of the bat. Wayne Manor. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a waste. There's just so much space there. You could be just so much revenue. You're just throwing money away. Um, um, but- sorry, go no, have you got another story loaded up? Because I got another story loaded up. Yeah, I have. I've got a story from Sean Robertson about new moon rocks. Do it. Are you guys fans of moon rocks? Yeah. Well, China is gonna is going to be retrieving the first moon rocks that uh, that humans have gotten since the 1970s, or at least that's their plan. Um, yeah, it's hoped the unmanned change. Fi- I'm sorry, it would probably be Chang'e five probe. Uh, it'll be launched on Tuesday. It'll bring back samples to help understand the moon's origin and formation. The last mission of its kind, Luna 24, was by the Soviet Union in 1976. Isn't that crazy? It's been that long since we've touched. They just, the I mean, there were some issues down on Earth. You yeah, know, yeah, I guess we've had some. Between 76 and 2020. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. Um, no, so you're if, right. <laughs> if this latest probe is successful, China will become the third country to have retrieved lunar rock after the U.S., and the USSR, and the Chang'e, assuming it's, it's C-H-A-N-G apostrophe E-5, Chang, Chang'e 5 spacecraft, named after the ancient Chinese goddess of the moon, will be launched by a Long March 5 rocket. Those are all capitalized, so that's a type of rocket. Uh, the probe will attempt to collect two kilograms of samples from an as-yet-unvisited area of the moon uh, called the Ocean of Storms. In comparison, the 1976 mission collected 170 grams and the Apollo mission that put Man on the Moon brought back, whoa, what? 382 kilograms of rocks in the soil? Wow. It's a, it's a big difference. 170 grams or 382 kilograms. Man, moon rocks must be... There's almost uh, almost 1,000 pounds of moon rocks out there. I mean, on Earth. That's crazy. Yeah, I got a few. <laughs> Do you not have uh, any moon rocks? No, nah, not anymore. I oh. had, to, had to pawn them. Last I'd year. give you some of mine, but, you know, I don't want to. I get it. Uh, experts are hoping that Chang'e 5 will give a better understanding, give a better understand how long, this is a BBC article, weird, will give a better understand how long the moon remained volcanically active and when its magnetic field, essential in protecting any life from the sun's radiation, dissipated. China made its first lunar landing in 2013 and plans to retrieve samples from Mars within a decade. Wow. But again, they're going for just two kilograms after we brought back 400 back in the 70s. And, they, and like, we don't want to share, you know, like yeah. it, it does seem kind of sucky that they've got to go get their own rocks when we already have some. Yeah, we can just share. But also, I was thinking like it's it's always super expensive to to get anything into orbit. But I guess considerably less expensive just to get something off of the moon surface and return it. It'd be, it'd be expensive as hell to send 400 kilograms out from earth but with yeah. earth's gra- with the moon's gravity being so much less uh, maybe it's not that crazy to try to lift 400 kilograms off of there wow but uh good luck to you china and yeah uh, good uh, luck china as they say in the moon rock collection <laughs> industry rock on i'm, <laughs> I'm so sorry well i i want to bring up this story because i saw it reported in a bunch of places but it's I'm, I'm still on the new scientist website, so why not use their version? Because I don't eat meat, and this is a—it's generally 
a more healthy lifestyle. But uh, according to a recent study, meat-free diets are linked with greater risk of breaking bones. Hmm. Okay. So okay. maybe this is a reason to really get into crickets and insects. Yeah, that's... Um, Wait, hmm. that's considered not meat? Those are animals? They're not plants. No, I know, I know but, you know, I, I think there are a, a number of people who are some version of vegetarian who wouldn't have as many issues with eating... Yes. The oh, I'm sorry, meat-free meat diets is greater risk of re- breaking bones. I was hearing it the opposite way. Yeah, so people who don't oh. eat meat are at more risk of breaking bones, especially their hips, according to the largest study yet of this risk. Uh, the effect hmm, may okay. stem from a lack of calcium and protein in the diet, <clears throat> as well as the fact that they tend to be thinner and have less flesh to cushion a full. Yeah. And I think they tend... I mean, this may be like a weird, stupid stereotype, but they seem like they would be the people that would be like climbing mountains and stuff. You know, like I just imagine them as more adventurous people. Right. You think of adventurous people as the ones who break their hips? <laughs> as the people that don't eat meat, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the hip break specifically. Is yeah, that, it doesn't yeah. say what proportion of these hip broke, hips broken are from taking an Instagram photo of you doing a one-handed handstand right. on the top of a cliff. Right. Breaking your hip, At I mean, as an, I'm an elder lover. I love our older population. And when you break a hip, that tends to be sort of like the beginning of the end. It's yeah. a really traumatic um, break. Yeah, we, we talked about this on, I forgot what episode, but one when we talked about space travel, maybe it was with Mary Roach, maybe Chris Hadfield, but um, uh, the thing about the reason hip breaks happen is because bones strengthen along the axis that they're, um, th- that you sort of uh, apply stresses. So like your, your, your leg bones are strong longitudinally because they're constantly being compressed and so they, they strengthen mm-hmm. along that axis, but you never really have impact uh, latitude, or, you know, from the side, axially, one of the words for it, in your hips, your, your hip bones don't really have any strength uh, horizontally. So the first time you fall on your side and have, you know, hit directly on the Oof. ground, that's why. But if you could, uh, and they were saying maybe even as a way of like sort of keeping bones, this is one of the problems of space travels, like your bones weaken and ev- along every axis because they're not being stressed. But if you could kind of like repeatedly do small falls on your hips, it would sort of strengthen them. Or just pay okay. someone to just punch you in the hip. Every... Right. Yeah. Theoretically, that does strengthen the bone, which is counterintuitive. Yeah, because it's not really an injury you see in football a lot. And no. those, I mean, they're like being run into falling. You don't really even see it in baseball that much. So it like, I guess that does sort of prove you can build up um, stronger Hip bones, if needed. Yeah. Or are they even, I mean, how many of them really take any blows on their hips? It seems like all the people who are good at falling in their sports fall on shoulders and things that are... I don't don't know. Football, like a quarterback will be, who's sacked, Mm -hmm. will be plowed into from the side sometimes without... Well, and you just, you hear so much about the knees. It's really the knees is like the number one thing. And and I have to imagine the hips are... Because a lot of times the knees are even non-contact injuries. They're just like, well, fuck this. Um, Yeah, and so the the hip, the hip is cranking along pretty well. Yeah, until you stop eating meat or get old, I guess. Yeah. So... So so, several previous studies have shown that vegetarians have weaker bones than meat eaters, but it was unclear if this had any meaningful effect on the risk of fractures. The new research took advantage of a long-running study called Epic Oxford, 
originally set up to look at whether diet influences the risk of cancer by following the health of about 65,000 people in the UK from 1993 onwards. The study recorded people's typical diet and tracked their health throughout through hospital records. By 2010, vegans had broken a hip at over twice the rate of meat eaters, while vegetarians and fish eaters had a smaller increase in risk, about 25%. Vegans, but not vegetarians and pescatarians, also had a higher risk of breaking other bones. The overall level of risk to vegans was relatively small, equating to about an extra 20 bones broken per thousand people over 10 years, but the fracture rate is likely to be higher in the elderly who break hips more often, as the average age of participants at the start was 45, says researcher Tammy Tong at the University of Oxford. When people's diets were analysed, meat eaters consumed more calcium and protein. Calcium is an important component of bones, and protein may aid calcium absorption from food. Tong said, unless they are actively supplementing, it's quite unlikely that vegans will have a sufficient intake of calcium just from the diet. But it is possible that people eating a vegan diet today may have higher calcium levels. In the 1990s, there was less fortification of plant milks, she says. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Heather, that. Uh, yeah, and then Heather Russell, a dietitian at the Vegan Society in the UK, says, it's certainly possible to look after your bones on a well-planned vegan diet, but people need information to make healthy choices. Studying the same group of people has previously shown that being a vegetarian is linked with about a 10% lower risk of cancer after 15 Damn. years and about a 20% lower risk of heart disease, but also a 20% higher risk of a stroke. I never knew that hmm. part. No. I didn't either, and that part's not in bold. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Stroke. I wonder what... Wow. I don't know if I would take that bargain. 20% decrease in one and an increase in another. That's... The 10% lower risk of cancer is good. Yeah, um, it's not and then... a huge decrease, but yeah, it is good. <laughs> but, but also cancer the... is a very common thing as you get older. Right, right. Yeah, so is heart disease, bitch. I guess, but... Um, but like heart disease, you almost feel a little bit more in the driver's seat on. I guess there's family, like there's genetics and family history, but a st- 20% higher risk of a stroke feels like out of your control, kind of. Uh, yeah, I, I really wonder what the actual mechanism behind that would be. But Megan, are you a meat eater? I am. I am too. I, yeah, I'm not proud of it. Whatever. <laughs> no, and I and I do. I have talked about like wanting to phase it out. Um, it's tricky. My husband is like deathly allergic to all seafood, um, and so that is t- like he, I don't know. There are just I'm making excuses. Um, <laughs> I want to phase it out, and like you know, I I eat soy riso. I've done. A, I'm doing more. Um, plant-based meat. So I'm making changes for sure, but I haven't fully given up my my burgers and my chicken and my pork chops. I'm not judging. Matt, do you do any supplemental things or do you worry about any kind of like missing nutrients? No, but I I don't. But also I'm not vegan. I'm just vegetarian. So I think a lot of those things, you know, I still eat dairy products. Okay, yeah, you get calcium. So there's quite a lot of, you know, even eggs I still eat. So that's got a lot of the same proteins as meat. That's a good point. A lot of women suffer from um, anemia. And I know that that has had like, because like, I get a lot of um, iron from red, like my mom is a nurse and she has told me like, if you are craving red meat, you should probably have some because of like my anemia. Yeah. How often do you crave red meat? 
Um, I mean, uh, I don't actually crave it that often, probably like once or twice a month. Yeah. I'll be like, like, ooh, I need, yeah. My body's telling me something. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah, I tried vegetarianism. I forgot if I told you that, Matt. I tried it for like two years or so, 15 Wow, that's a long time. Years ago. I don't think I knew that. A trip to Peru ended that. It was like, this is too hard to find stuff on this six-week journey. I'm just going to eat some guinea pig or whatever. I I didn't eat guinea pig, but uh, other stuff. (laughs) No, I think that's what makes me feel guilty is that in L.A., it's so easy to eat vegetarian or even vegan. And I like still – it's not like I'm in the middle of Indiana. I could – there's so many options, but – It's it's still annoyingly more expensive. Mm. Like it's still – if you go through, like, if you just go through a drive-through and want the veggie burger rather than the meat burger, even if it's not a place that has the, you know, it's even more expensive if it's a place that has like the Beyond Burger or the Impossible Burger, uh-huh. or one of those ones. But even just the regular veggie burger, the plausible is still going to be, yeah, exactly. Well, that doesn't seem so. Like, even if you get a like mushroom burger, well, they don't tend to have those at like a sort of Carl's Jr. or something like that. Right. But, okay. Gotcha. But even even still, sometimes. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, that doesn't it's seem generally fair. more expensive to have vegetarian food unless you're going really basic. Well, it's it's more expensive to eat healthy too. Yeah, oh, totally. Just in general. Well, we yeah. know that, Which... particularly being on the road as comics, where yeah, you're you can be incredibly limited on your options, and, and good luck getting a salad after 10 p.m. Right. But even if I you mean, do, it's still yeah, so food, much cheaper yeah. just to get a. A burger and fries. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen Louis Katz's bit about that? I don't know if I have. I think I probably have. Something yes. like, you know, for 10 bucks, you can get like three full meals at uh, yeah. McDonald's or, or make a down payment on some arugula. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen that joke now. Now you mention it. I just love the, just the, uh, just the use of that word. It's just, yeah. Um, yeah. Have you ever tried making your own? I don't know if this is the thing at all, but making your own plant-based uh, burger patties at home. Is that no. people try to do? I haven't either. I, I, I just wonder if it's like a thing. Can you just like chop up or maybe blend a bunch of vegetables? Uh, I haven't, but also the ones, even the professionally produced ones like that, I don't like. Oh, like if I'm having they... a veggie burger, I want it to be mostly soy-based and sort of taste like a shitty burger. <laughs> or be or be like a sort of beyond or impossible burger where they've made a bit more attempt to make it taste like meat but like the ones that are just like bean burgers or like mixed vegetable patties yeah they just oh they just they, they always just have this weird texture that just sort of mm-hmm. sticks in your mouth it's just, i i'm not a yeah fan. yeah i don't know how they would make them like congeal right unless you threw an egg in there or something it's sort of dry and sticky at the same time and i don't yeah, know yeah, how yeah. they've managed it's just not good oh yeah 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 yeah. what's been your staple uh, what, what are you eating mostly during covid matt not enough <laughs> like I, I genuinely not enough like i've been trying to put on weight again like i, I think every, huh yeah I, i'm the only one who lost weight during like to a worrying amount during lockdown yeah I've got some weight you can have yeah, same, um, same. that I've that I, I put on like five pounds this weekend <laughs> and you can have that. Well, you like. you. Are you guys friend. mostly doing full on um, home cooking or like some pre-made thing? I mean, I'm, I do a lot of uh, I stock up once a month at Trader Joe's down in Palm Springs and eat out of my freezer mostly. It's good food, but it's you know mostly freezer. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's what I've started doing again. But at the beginning of lockdown, I wasn't going anywhere near a Trader Joe's or anything like that. So I was just I think mm-hmm. that was partly the issue. I just didn't have as much access to really easy food. 
So yeah. everything was like, oh god, do I bother making a proper meal? And then it just sort of becomes 10 p.m. and I haven't. It's just easier to go to sleep without your dinner. <laughs> yeah, or you just you know have a light snack enough to sort of stop yourself from feeling faint, but wow. not enough to not lose almost a stone over the course of several months. Wait, wait, what's a, is a stone? Fourteen pounds? Yep. You've lost fourteen pounds. I had. It's like half of it's back again now. You lost fourteen pounds. Yeah. Wow. You, and you're thin. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I, I like. I just suddenly weighed myself halfway through lockdown. I was like, "This is. Oh, this is bad. This isn't good at all." So what is your? And you're not a big. You don't really drink much, right? Um. I mean, I don't. I'm not sober. I'm not teetotal, but I. But that wouldn't be a significant amount of calorie intake as a percentage of your no, total but, calories. No, but you know, I think it probably is to an extent. Because also, you know, if you go out, if I go out, I probably go out a couple, two or three times a week, and just you know, even just meeting some of you guys at Jay's Bar, which is walking distance from my house, and having a couple of beers, and then maybe having a the a, Wait, some of the food as well, or a pizza during, slice during COVID. No, no, this is outside of COVID. <laughs> oh, I meant I meant during COVID. I meant during COVID. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Andy's, so that, Andy's like I'm about to bust you I'm, uh, I'm no i just call, if, if jay's is open i'm moving back to la today yeah. <laughs> no jay's is very much very no, much closed closed. Forever, yeah it's probably right, the closing of a bar that is worse set up for covid jay's is closed forever i think it closed forever forever yeah oh did no, it i didn't know I that loved it there I think recently yeah i mean speaking of they had a great burger oh they had great uh like um, menu specials every night. We're doing like yeah. a two, posthumous uh, plug for a restaurant we could have maybe saved if we just talked it up on the yeah. podcast. I mean, there there are going to be podcasts that are just, these are the places we used to go yeah, that are the, now closed. Who's going to start the Before Times podcast that just reminisces about, yeah, the stuff we'll tell our kids about. Yeah. Who remembers Guitar Center? <laughs> oh man, oh, I went yeah. to Guitar Center during COVID. It's the fucking saddest. Like, they let you in, or at least it was like April, so it was like prime... Um, or like the peak of everyone's um, caution, but they would like let you in one at a time, and then like you can't touch a guitar until someone else brings it down for you and like cleans it up. So like you're not gonna like really play that many guitars because of the level of effort required for the guy to do the prep and then the de prep. So you're never really gonna browse. Anyway, this, of all the things to be mad about in COVID, Guitar Center is low on the list, but it was just a sad, sad thing. There are little, like, sad things that pop up like that, though, that you're like, I know this doesn't really matter, but when you combine all of these tiny, sad things that kind of don't matter, they're one giant thing that do matter. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Hey, you know what else? I miss salad bars. I love oh, salad. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like, I'm obs- I love a salad bar. I love a buffet. I mean, it's like true Hoosier in me coming out. And, and it's gone forever now. Yeah, I wonder when there ever will be buffets again or if that's I really going to I think buffets be- will start to exist gradually, but there will at least at first be, there will be someone at all of the food stations serving you the food. Which I like, actually. That I prefer that. <laughs> I, I, I do also. I do also like that because even pre-COVID, just the, you, the things you see at a buffet where, yeah, just someone should, sort of puts right. food onto their plate and like picks it up and then just goes nah and then just puts it back in the tray. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pe- plexiglass. Oh yeah. Even at the like at the grocery stores, you see that, and you're like, what is happening? I mean, there was a time in my life in Chicago where I just sort of casually stole food off the Whole Foods hot bar <laughs> oh, um, God, it, as a means of survival. It, I, in Ralph's two days ago, I saw a young woman 
take her mask off to cough and then put it back on again. No! Which I'd, I'd heard of people doing and I hadn't seen it with my own eyes and I... I I don't know if she heard Oof. me say, like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, I guess it was just, um, I, I couldn't bad. believe it. She, she just, like, just pulled it down off her face a little bit, coughed twice, and then put it back up again. No, you don't deserve Ralph's. You got a lifetime ban from Ralph's. Yeah. You're, you're, you got to go to Vaughn's now, lady. You got to go to John's, lady. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you know what else is long gone? What is no longer with us? What is that? T-Rex and Triceratops. Well, yeah. Yeah, and specifically <laughs> the first ever complete T-Rex skeleton, which is found after it fell to its death in a deadly duel with a Triceratops. Ooh. This story in ah. Metro, sent in by Heather Robinson. Thanks, Heather. Scientists have uh, revealed the world's first ever complete T-Rex skeleton. So, uh, Sweet. In it, yeah. Each of the 67 million-year-old remains are among the best ever found and have only been seen by a select few people since they were discovered in 2006. What? 14 years they've been hiding this thing away. (laughs) I think they were waiting for a really bad year. Yeah. And they found it. Look what we've got. The pair, nicknamed the dueling dinosaurs, are preserved together in what is thought to be a predator-prey encounter where both fought to the death. So cool. Yeah, entombed in sediment in Montana... They were discovered by professional fossil hunters, a cattle rancher cowboy, and two pals. How is that? that a, that's a that's a CBS sitcom. Yeah, and also just professional fossil hunters whose job are not fossil hunters. Right, right. <laughs> Unless the ra- the cattle that this person is ranching is very much fossilized, it's is over a million years old. Um, incredibly, their body outlines, skin impressions, and injuries. H- hang on, how, how long ago were dinosaurs? Uh, is a million past the point of... Is what? When did life first form on Earth that was, like, large life? life? Not, yeah. like, uh, like eukaryotes? Not, pro- oh, wait, the the things with nuclei? We, did, we learned this this summer, Matt, on I know. Uh, Celebrity Substitute. The first I'm truly saying any quiet. The first of any life, I think was within the first billion years of Earth's four and a half billion years. But that was like, you know, single cell. Uh, what's it's, Eukaryotes are the ones that have nuclei, right? So Oh, yeah. Yeah, I should have known this. 65 million years ago is when the dinosaurs went extinct. There we go. After okay. living on Earth for about 165 million years. But tons of life obviously preceded that. Literally yes. billion, billions of years. But not billions of years of uh, vertebrates and things. So, incredibly, their body outlines, skin impressions, and injuries, including Tyrannosaur teeth stuck in the Triceratops body, can still be seen. It took years to extract the 14-ton skeletons and arrange their purchase and sale, so it purchases so it's, this is about like when they could get it on eBay, basically. Yeah. So it's reported by only a few dozen people who have seen them so far. But this weekend, it's been announced they have been bought by the Friends of the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences for an undisclosed sum. The group has then donated them to the museum, which is due to start building their exhibition in 2021. Well, that's that's what a real friend does. Yeah. Yeah, buys you a mega, 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 mega million dollar fighting dinosaur. Yeah, gives it to you. Like the museum's been like looking at it in the shop window for years, thinking like (laughs) if only one day, and then one day it's just not in the shop window anymore. And the museum's like, oh, someone's bought it. And then it's the museum's birthday, and they're like, open up the present. 
This is a real, like, isn't it ironic, Alanis Morissette. I mean, they were fighting to try and kill each other, and then they both died and forever are linked together. (laughs) (laughs) They can't get away. I mean, it's it's the first murder-suicide. Yeah, yeah. It's a Mexican standoff, but whatever uh, was in Mexico 65 million years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, A Montana Montana cliff fight, as it's now known. Right, right. God, this picture of the the picture the first picture that shows the teeth with that detail is just so it just looks yeah. so fake. It just looks like a movie prop, you know? It's crazy how detailed it is. Yeah, really. Yeah, it's really cool. The one with the ribs. Yeah, claws. I mean, it's definitely a full thing. It's been it's been described as one of the most important paleontolo- paleontological discoveries of our time and is the only 100% complete t-rex ever found i did not know that dr Lindsay zano head of paleontology at the museum said we have not yet studied this specimen it is a scientific frontier the preservation is phenomenal and we plan to use every technological innovation available to reveal new information on the biology of the t-rex and triceratops this fossil will forever change our view of the world's two favorite dinosaurs I think we all owe a big debt of gratitude to Satan for placing this um, piece of, of yeah. fake evidence to try to uh, next to a calendar that says from... <laughs> 100 million years ago. Dr. Yeah. Eric Dorfman, director and CEO of the museum, added, The museum is thrilled to have the unique opportunity to house and research one of the most important paleontological discoveries of our time. Not only are we able to uncover details, unknown details of these animals anatomy and behavior but our new dedicated facility and educational programs will allow us to engage with audiences locally across north carolina and worldwide that's some good pr copy there yeah, yeah. good cl- now is montana a, a a dinosaur fossil hot spot yes it must I, be i believe so isn't that where those two guys that brooks was obsessed with who were the fossil wars guys who were trying to sabotage each other's digs Oh, okay. I'm into this. This is a pretty funny. I forgot if they made a movie about it, or maybe they're talking about making like a Will Ferrell, John C. Riley movie. But um, I believe those guys were active in like the Wyoming, Montana area. Let me see. Fossil Wars, the Bone Wars, I should say. This I was... wouldn't even like if someone was like, "Where do you think the most dinosaur fossils are?" I'd have I'd have no guess. Yeah, yeah. So the I wouldn't Cope have guessed Marsh... the Americas even, but yeah. Nope. Yeah, and the plains or the rocky uh, Copen Marsh were um, looking in Colorado, Nebraska, and Wyoming from 1877 to 1892, and uh, they had some really funny disputes that we talked about in the past. I'm trying to find a quick example of any of the sabotage they did to each other. So, so I hadn't realized how political dinosaur bones are, and I, th- I figured once it's discovered, it's just in the public domain, and someone owns them, but they still kind of release the photos and the and the research. But no. So this rancher, his friends, and his cousin, or his friend and his cousin, found the fossils in 2006, and it's reported they came to a deal with the landowners. The dueling Mm. dinosaurs themselves went to auction in 2013 at Bonhams in New York, but no bid met the $6 million reserve price. Damn. During years of negotiations, the fossil was reportedly locked away in labs or warehouses. But thanks to donors, the non-profit Friends of the North Carolina Museum Natural Scientists has now bought them on behalf of the museum the dinosaur carcasses have not been studied and remain entombed within sediment from the montana hillside where they were discovered so you have a legal claim if you if they're found on property you own which i, I guess, guess makes sense. yeah and then 
and but not if you find it. I, or yeah, I don't know so. how that works when it says reached a deal with the with the landowners, like who gets the rights to it or whether they have to share it. So each bone in this fossil is in its natural position and museum scientists will have access to biological data that is typically lost in the excavation and preparation processes. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, there must be lawyers that like speciali- specialize in like fossil deals. Yeah, it, it, I'm sure it, there are, yeah. It, seemed, it does seem like a thing where I just assumed some kind of like eminent domain or whatever that's called happens as soon as you find something like this just to make sure that no civilian starts to like go chipping away at it with like a Phillips head screwdriver you know like it's just so much could be lost by incompetence because it's privately owned that I thought somehow something happens as soon as it's excavated yeah. and like a team comes in it's like this is ours now don't touch it yeah. with your with your <laughs> the feds come in yeah it's like in a movie when a murder happens and like the town sheriff's like we're gonna solve this and then like a helicopter lands and they're like get out of here yeah, get your Cheeto encrusted fingers off yeah <laughs> But yeah, so, that's, so they're going to continue to do the excavation once it's been purchased by a real professional, yeah. or in this, in this North Carolina. Um, There's a whole Guardian place. article here, which won't necessarily be America-specific, that I've just found that says, to collect or not to collect, are fossil hunting laws hurting science? The collecting of fossilized remains of animals and plants is often limited by law to prevent over-exploitation and vandalism, but what is best for science? How many of us, it starts off by saying, have picked up a fossil bone on the beach, a pretty rock with the imprint of a mollusk along the side of, along the side of the road, or even a reptile tooth in a stone quarry? I know I have. And wow. who's writing this? Who's, who's discovered this? Hanukkah Meyer. And it sparked my fascination with the natural world and has led me down the long, windy path of a career in paleontology. Picking up small fossils as a child seems harmless enough, but what, what when you... When you stub your toe on something rare and spectacular, would you put it above the fireplace to be admired for eternity, or would you try to sell it for a good price? That's where things become more tricky. Last year, the fossil, the fossil of a snake with four legs made headlines worldwide, but not only because it was the first time the world saw a four-legged snake. The specimen had been found in the Crato Formation in Brazil, an area that has yielded spectacularly well-preserved fossils. When paleontologists first saw the specimen in 2012, it was part of a private collection in Germany. Since Brazil had made the export of fossils illegal in 1942, the discovery sparked a legal investigation. How did it end up in Germany? And if it had been exported illegally, should scientists be involved in such practices? So yeah, there's a whole lot of... So the United States Bureau of Land Management prohibits any commercial collection from public lands, but it does allow collecting for personal use. And Germany (laughs) recently adopted the new Cultural Property Protection Act that severely restricts the collecting and trade of fossils. It just seems like so much of the U.S. is owned, privately owned, (laughs) you know, like I I know that there's massive national parks and state parks and stuff, but it doesn't it seems like the amount of privately owned land, there's probably a lot of dinosaurs in there. Yeah, it doesn't say in this article who, whether the, the finder or the landowner owns it. And yes, 60 percent of the U.S. is privately owned. Land-wise, I don't know if it's more or less than I thought. So forty percent—that's less, yeah. No, it's, you think you thought it was? You thought more of the U.S. was yeah. privately held than sixty percent? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this. T- I mean, looking out my front window here, the, I'm seeing a lot of BLM land, but uh, I don't live where you guys do. But yeah, uh, I found a long article about the legality of fossil hunting, but 
<laughs> it would be the entire rest of the episode if I started going into this now. But well, I think we have time for just one more anyway. I actually have to run in 10 minutes or so. So I have to get I have to run, too, because I have to get a COVID test. Oh, nice. How often do you do that? Oh, I end up doing it probably once a month. Is it pretty easy now it, in L.A.? Yeah. Yeah, very, very easy. Like how fast in and out once you get to the place? Um, this place I'm going to today, you, you like park and then you actually get out of your car and walk up and like swab yourself in a tent by yourself. And the last time I went, it was like three minutes, Oh, you know, awesome. and then I had the results back in 24 hours. That's great. I thought maybe it was yeah. still kind of, um, a mess out there, but yeah. No, a- I think there's lines at Dodger stadium and it seems like that was there. The lines were extra long this week, but, um, I think LA and California as a whole have like pretty good testing. Where's the place Can- that you've been going? That I've been- um, it's like Lincoln something. Okay. Yeah, if anybody from my house, if anyone here li- lives out in the Mojave Desert, the place in Twenty Nine Palms is amazingly fast, and I've never seen another human in there who, besides the employees. So it's okay. Like so now that's good. That's ninety good. seconds door to door, like from my, leaving my car to back in my car. So yeah, they've got it. They've got it down here. Although the fact that there's no no one ever there worries me because I'm like, why doesn't everyone take advantage of this? Then we could all be moving more quickly towards a <laughs> a more normal world, you know. If everyone just did it every week, if it's free anyway, I think uh, that would be helpful, wouldn't it? If we just knew? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think it would, except for the thing I'd be worried about if everyone was getting tested constantly is the fact that there are false negatives and also you can get infected after the test and before the results. And uh, I don't th- I'm or, or you can after get, you get your negative if, test, you go, you go crazy and party with like 50 well, people. Well, that's what I'd be worried about is the the number of people who would view a negative test as, okay, now we can just have a big house party. Right. But I don't know that one automatically causes the other, but at least we get enough data that we have a more, like finally there are things coming out that are like nationwide heat maps. We can see by County, the case rate and have a more informed, it's just, it's been so little like nuanced information in the last eight months, which is important because like the analogy I heard, which is great is no one asks what the national weather forecast is. That's an idiotic concept. And this is like the weather. You know, it's a thing that's happening on the local scale for every one of us. So uh, the more information we can have about our immediate surroundings, the better mm-hmm. off everyone is. I think we're doing the worst contact um, tracing in the developed world. Are we doing contact tracing? <laughs> I, uh, not really, no. Well, I mean, I think for like athletes. <laughs> right, right. I, I read an article, in, I think it was in The Atlantic, about how most places are doing contact tracing in the wrong direction as well. Oh, like Like, they're contact tracing forwards rather than backwards, which, so basically now we know that most transmission of COVID is from super spreader events. Like it's most of it is. Yeah. The the majority or at least larger spreader events. So, you know, it would used to, on average, let's say, you know, you've got the R value, which says, which tells you on average how many people each infected person gives it to. And if it's you know, below one, then the numbers are going down. And if it's above one, then the numbers are increasing. But it's not, but that's just the average across the whole group. And actually, let's say on average, each person gives it to one and a half people. It's actually one person is giving it to like 
uh, 10 people and the rest of the people are giving it to no one. Mm. So if you're doing contact tracing the forward way, you're finding someone who's infected and then you're, and then you're finding everyone that they've come into contact with over the course of the next couple of days. There's a, a fairly good chance that they're one of the people who gives it to no one. So you're going to spend all these resources and find no new infections. But instead, if you find someone who's infected and go backwards and find out everyone that that person met previously before they started showing symptoms, you've got a good chance of finding the super spreader who gave it to them. And then you find everyone that that person met. So basically, you're trying to track down the head vampire rather than one of the baby vampires. Wow. I didn't know it was that big of a... I, I didn't know that super spreaders accounted for that big of a percentage. I mean, all this stuff, it's just crazy that all of us don't have a ton more data, you know? Right. There's no easy solution to it, but, like... Yeah. That's, that would just help everything. Because I think everybody has just gotten so religious. I mean that in the worst possible way about either side of, of, of their uh, caution or lack of caution. It's just become this dogma as opposed to a thing that could be taking into account new information as it comes in anything that would be encouraging new information to come in whenever possible, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that, that was, I think what I think that was to an extent, although they were, you know, they were battling up uphill constantly with the various governments that they were dealing with in Britain and America. But one of the mistakes that the scientists made in terms of communication was being clearer about that, of, you know, like being clearer about, we are currently advising no need for masks because masks are a limited resource and we don't think they'll help that much. And then later on, the deal was, okay, now we know that masks really do help and they're not a limited resource, so we recommend everyone mm-hmm. wears them. If they communicated that more clearly, I think people would have gone along with it rather than just like, what, what? Hang on, just two weeks ago, they're saying that masks don't mm-hmm. do anything and now they're saying masks do do stuff? What, what? Yeah. You know, it's just... That's well, and you also, ha- you, yeah. you also have like celebrities and TV shows and and sporting like leagues being like, okay, these people are tested. And now we're also being told, okay, if you're tested, you actually can't see anybody for Thanksgiving. And it's like, okay, but like, what, what are, why are the rules one way if you want to make a TV show and another way if you want to see your family? Yeah. Like you yeah. can hang out together if you're in the Minnesota Vikings, but <laughs> it's dangerous to go to that. And, and like, I think the issue is the, the messaging has been confusing because it, it's a disease that they're learning about on the fly. Exactly. Um, but but some, which we just have to understand, but we're not understanding. And, and also <laughs> the whole of the NFL and the NBA and the NHL and uh, which one am I missing out? Oh, yeah, baseball. Baseball. Um, but like the whole of them, all of those people put together is the tiniest, tiniest percentage of the American population. So even if they do have an outbreak, it's still not going to become a national or even statewide emergency. Well, and you look at who had the strictest, who created a bubble was the NHL and NBA basketball. And and they had no cases. They had zero cases. So it, it is possible, but you have to spend probably billions to be able to do it. Um, even on like a remotely large scale. And you have to have incentive to the people in the bubble, such as being paid right. on the level of a professional athletes for them to adhere to these rules. Like right. the incentives aren't right. there. You couldn't do that same thing in the regular world without having yeah, a ton of money to use in a ton of different ways. Yeah. 
anyway <laughs> hey you you need to stick to these uh quarantine rules otherwise you're going to lose a seven figure Reebok right, sponsorship right yeah yeah if there was an analogous thing yeah i just hate like the the joe rogan's of the world who are just like yeah as soon as they see one hypocrisy they're like well throw it all out i'm like throw it all out like you don't get why this is useful uh advice right. to try to follow even if you occasionally don't follow it it's still better if you mostly follow and it why like, there are like scales and you know it's constantly trade-offs between yeah restricting freedoms and also making people safe and you're constantly trying to play a balancing act of like okay if we're we're making schools go back then we're gonna have to cut back on parties or groups of or dinners or yeah. restaurants you know you're like okay you if you're if you're expanding one you're gonna have to contract another and vice versa yeah but like people who are like oh look gavin newsom went to dinner burn it all down I'm like i don't care i don't care that he went to dinner like <laughs> yeah. you still need to follow these rules in general i mean i do care you... that he went to dinner but i but also yeah, yeah it doesn't then justify yeah. having a he sucks we know he sucks whatever having 200 people in a sucks. wedding I don't even know that his policies, I don't know. I just like everybody who thinks that uh, anybody who's told them what to do is a bad guy. I'm like, well, what would you have done in their, right. in their shoes? We have to have some kind of guidance and recommendations for people to, in general, do what they can. I actually think Gavin Newsom's kind of attractive and I'm embarrassed. <laughs> he's almost too slick and, and politician-y to be a good politician. Yeah, <laughs> he's a movie politician. He's right, like a yeah. movie politician. He's Aaron Eckhart, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we should wrap things up, but Megan... Where can our listeners find out more about you and everything that you're up to? So my husband and I host a sports podcast together, and that is a sentence I've had to get comfortable saying, Um, (laughs) and it is called The Greatest. And so if you like sport, like anything that's been in the historical realm of sports, we pick a certain topic and then talk about what we think is the greatest within that topic. Mm. Um, And then you can find me at Megan Gailey on Twitter and at Better Megan Gailey on Instagram. And I think believe i hope i can say this that my half hour from comedy central will be available on youtube um for free in the coming nice awesome yeah i'm excited well congratulations on all of those and check all of those things out you're probably listening to a podcast of ours through a podcast app that can also access the greatest so why not hit (laughs) why not hit the subscribe button on that too well and subscribe to us if you're not already subscribing thank you very much you guys you can find us at probablyscience.com that's also we put all the show notes and the donation buttons if you want to help us keep this thing going you can find us on twitter at probably science individually at andy t wood and at matt kershon probably science at gmail.com is the email address for any questions comments clarifications and stories you would like us to cover megan thanks so much for joining us thank you i learned i feel (laughs) sciencey we all learned and we'll forget it within a few days. But we no look for the moment no we're, we're smarter. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, listeners. See you next time. Bye-bye.